Hey everybody, welcome to a new JPD Weekly. So a couple of weeks ago, or actually it might have been last week, we started talking about the festivals of new wine and new oil. And in that episode, we ran out of time, but I said that I wanted to talk about Second Peter and uh, false prophets. You know, false prophets specifically for our age, the time in our age, this final uh, jubilee that we're about to enter into. So if you missed that, go to last week's JPD Weekly and get the context of... Uh, uh, but even if you didn't watch it, that's totally fine. You're still going to be able to get a lot out of today's episode because uh, we we have to talk about uh, these false prophets, false teachers. There's a million of them, and unfortunately, there's not a lot of a, a lot of real ones, not a lot of good ones. Now, I am one that does believe in the gift of prophecy. I do believe that. Uh, you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. I believe they're for the entirety of the church age until Jesus returns. But along with that, there's a lot of deception. There's a lot of abuses. There's a lot of people who claim to have these gifts, but they don't actually have them. So how can we tell? It's, it's more than just a prophet gets something wrong. I mean, that is a really good way to tell. You know, if, if somebody is calling themselves a true prophet of God, Yet they get something wrong and they say, if they said, God told me this and then it doesn't happen, well, then you know that that's a false prophet, right? Uh, now, sometimes what happens is you'll have somebody who uh, gives a prophecy, you know, like, like they'll give one prophecy and say that God told them this one thing. And then they will talk about a lot of other things because a lot of times when somebody, um, you know, gives a public prophecy or something, people latch on to that and they make a public figure out of this person. And then that person shares their opinions about a lot of things. And what happens is people, uh, will latch on to everything that that person says and, and they'll say that all of it was prophecy and none of it came true. So, you know, like all of the person's opinions, they'll, they'll treat as if they were saying that God told them that when that might not have been the case. Um, so that happens too. There, there are times where, uh, let, let me give you an example. Like for, for example, um, and, and maybe someday I'll share this, this one, but, but not yet. Um, I had a very prophetic uh, dream years ago about the end times, and I haven't really shared it publicly yet. There's, it's full of symbolism. There's a lot of stuff that I'm still uh, trying to understand, but it absolutely, I believe, was a, a prophetic dream. It was from God. Uh, it wasn't from me, and that, that kind of thing doesn't happen that often to me. But let's say that I went and shared that, and I spoke about it publicly. And I, I said that, you know, God showed me this. All right. Now, where the prophecy ends, where the thing that God showed me ends is after I describe just what I saw. Now, if I if people ask my opinion on what it means and then I start sharing my opinion, there are some people that won't separate those two, you know, the opinion from the, the prophecy. And my opinion would just be a fallen, failed human being's opinion, right? I, I'm, I'm seeing through a glass darkly still. I'm just human. So my opinion is just as valid as anybody else's opinion, um, even though even though I'm the one that had the dream or, or the vision or, or whatever. So, uh, but there are people that will, that would take those comments if I was sharing my opinion. And if, if my opinion happened to be wrong on something, they would take that and say that the whole thing is false and that, you know, Josh Peck is a false prophet now, you know, so that kind of thing, um, does happen, but 
What also happens is uh, people claim to be prophets and they're not really prophets. They'll, they'll claim that, um, you know, the gift of prophecy is something that you have to practice, learn how to walk in. And I, I, don't, I don't believe in that at, at all. I do believe in the gift of prophecy. I believe in the gift of healing. I believe in the gift of tongues. I believe in all of that. Um, but I don't believe that these gifts are something that you need to learn to practice to walk in. You, you know, I, I believe personally, and I, I don't mean to disparage anybody because I think that there are some very well-meaning Christians that do believe this. And they think that that's how the gift of prophecy is supposed to operate and they don't know any better. And so they go and operate like that. But it's, it's false. It's a deception. I, I don't believe the gift of prophecy works like that. You shouldn't have to practice because it's not you that's doing it. And we're, we're going to, we're going to see exactly, um, why that's the case from second Peter, how we know that that's the case, that these, these gifts, the gift of prophecy, that prophecy, uh, is not by the will of man, but by the Holy spirit and the Holy spirit doesn't have to practice anything. So it would be like, if I shared that dream that I had, um, God doesn't have to practice, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't have to practice to give me a dream. I, I, I had a dream. It was very prophetic in nature. Um, now, my opinion about it might be wrong. You know, the symbolism in there, uh, if I interpret it a certain way, uh, that might be wrong. The interpretation might be wrong. So I, I think that sometimes people who are, are given a word of prophecy, sometimes they uh, speak presumptuously, sometimes they uh, in, interpret things that maybe they weren't meant to interpret. Uh, and I, I think that if somebody is, is, if somebody is actually given something from God, not just a feeling, not just a thought that pops up in your head, but it's, it's legitimately from God, um, then that message and that message alone should be the thing that is relayed, unless God says different. If God says, you know, you go and interpret this, then by all means that they should interpret it. But, um, but I think what happens is we have people who think that they need to learn to walk in the gift of prophecy. And because of that, they get things wrong and it does a lot of damage. And the gift of prophecy was never meant to work that way. There's not a single biblical example of the gift of prophecy working that way, where, where Paul had to learn to walk in the gift of the prof, you know, gift of prophecy. And he got a bunch of things wrong at first, but then he got better at it. That, that's, that's nonsense. That's, that's more like what, what, like psychics and stuff have to do. Uh, we, we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We, we don't have to practice. It's, it's either you got the gift or you don't, you know, it's like, it's, it's Christmas morning. You open up, uh, you open up a present. Well, you either, you either have something in that box or you don't, you know, you don't have to, to work toward, towards, uh, having that box. It's already there. So we need to keep that in mind, but this is, it's more than just me saying these things. I'm going to give you some biblical precedents. Uh, so some things that we can hold on to from second Peter, um, and also we get glimpses of the festival of new oil in, uh, second Peter, and it can tell us a lot about how we should be viewing prophecy today. So in the last episode, when we talked about the new festivals, the, the festivals that we, uh, haven't learned about because it's, it's been hidden, uh, but it is in the Bible where, you know, if you know where to look and we went through all that in, I believe it was last week's episode. Um, but 
we we mainly dealt with uh, the the festival of new wine. You know, the first fruits of of grapes, new wine. Um, this one we're going to deal a little bit with new oil. So starting in Second Peter, we're, our our passage today is Second Peter one twelve through two three. Now, I know that's weird, but we have to remember, you know, chapter breaks and verse breaks, man put those in. Uh, so chapter breaks, there's a lot of times there's a break in a chapter and the thought isn't finished yet. So like Matthew 24 and 25 is a great example of that. This is a great example of that. Second Peter 1, 12 through 2, 3, it's all one thought. And, and actually, there's more to it than that, but we're going to focus in on these. Um, I believe it's through 2, 3 that we're going to look at. Let me Let me double check that. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're just we're gonna stop at two three. It does it does go further than that, but um, but we can stop at two three to make our point. So Second Peter one twelve through fifteen. Let's read this together. For this reason, I will not be ne- negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you have always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Okay, so the first and second chapters of Second Peter can give us some deeper insights uh, when we have the proper understanding of the Essene calendar in mind. And we've been dealing with that the past uh, few weeks. Second uh, Peter is likely Peter's final writing before in uh, Rome, before he was executed. So Second uh, Timothy, that's Paul's, likely Paul's last letter. And according to the church fathers, you have Paul going to Rome, spending two years in house arrest, uh, leaving and uh, doing the last missionary journey, which is not recorded in the book of Acts, coming back to, uh, I believe, Neapolis, um, and I'm going to have to check that, but uh, I think that's what it is. Being arrested, he asked people to bring the um, parchments and scrolls for this this final writing, this final part. He he writes Second Timothy, which is uh, his last one. Second Peter, that's probably Peter's last one. And according to church fathers, uh, they were in prison together during this time, and this would have been uh, in 67 AD. In, in June of 67 AD, they were executed. So Paul was beheaded uh, because he's a Roman citizen. Paul is, or Peter is crucified because he is not a Roman citizen. So there's a lot of interesting history there. Um, now, why that, that context is important is because in 2 Peter 1, 12 through 15, really the, the book of 2 Peter, um, he know, Peter knows his, he, he knows his death is coming soon. And in verse 1, uh, he's wanting to remind the reader what he's about to write, something that he's said before, apparently over and over and over again. Um, and there's actually a Greek word there, din, which means it's like taught over and over and over again. Like if somebody were to remember Peter, they would remember him for this thing because he talked about it all the time. Uh, and so he's doing that so the reader won't forget what he's about to say uh, after he's gone. Um, now, Peter is giving us uh, in Second Peter 1, 16 through 18, and we're going to read that. And just to remind you from last week, we are reading from the New King James. Uh, but let's go to, yeah, 16 through 18. And it says, 
For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we were made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father the honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain." All right, so Peter here is giving us an eyewitness testimony and saying that all of the prophecies that talked about the first coming of Messiah had happened. And he said that, you know, he and others were witnesses to these things. This is important because we have to remember that this is the first century, and the biggest players on the scene were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes, and there were subgroups of all of those. So it'd be like today we have uh, we have some main denominations, like let's say Baptist and Charismatics, but then there's a lot of subgroups of those. So it's kind of the same thing. Uh, let's say you have Baptist, Charismatics, and Catholics. You know, you, you might not have a strong opinion on any of those, or you might think one or two are good, but one is really bad, or you might think that two are really bad and one is really good, you know, whatever. But you become a member of the one that you think is is right. But no matter what you think about them, the reason that you like one and not the others is because of what they teach. And you know what basically they all teach. Just like, it, you know, in our time today, it would have been the same back then. So as a Pharisee, you would say that the Essenes are, are you know, insane. They're making stuff up. Uh, they're always talking constantly about how the Messiah would be God incarnate. Uh, there's that, and that, that's that Greek, you know, din word again. Uh, Die for our sins in 32 AD. The end of the age of Torah is ending and the uh, age of grace is about to begin soon. You know, the Essenes would have been talking about that a lot and the Pharisees and Sadducees would have rejected that. Now, similar to today, we have certain denomination groups of uh, Christians that are known for talking all the time about, say, a pre-trib rapture uh, or, or certain interpretations of prophecy or that all the prophecy is refilled and it, or is fulfilled and it all happened in 70 AD. You, you know, we have words for uh, those groups of people. Now, whether they're right or not, they're known for talking about it a lot and it's impossible to forget. So it's that that's what that din, that Greek word din is all about, the concept that they talk about it a lot. So you know a preterist because of they talk about how everything was fulfilled in 70 AD a lot. You know a, a pre-tribulation rapture believer because they talk about it a lot, right? Um, so just like that, in the first century, you have others that, uh, that, that, you have others that would like, will reject the rapture like they do today. But so, so you have, a, let, let me rephrase that. In the first century, you have Pharisees that, that would say, well, that Essene stuff is not real. You know, uh, the Messiah is not coming. It's, he's not God incarnate. That, that's not how it's going to happen. But then it did happen. And so at that point, they had a choice to make. You know, are they going to, are they going to follow the Essenes? Are they going to uh, switch their doctrines? Or are they going to reinterpret reality around their preconceived doctrines? So the same thing would happen with the, uh, rapture. You know, if it happens, those who rejected it uh, and rejected Christ, or you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about like post-tribulation rapture believers. If it is pre, the post ones are going up too. You don't have to believe in a pre-tribulation rapture to be caught up in the pre-tribulation rapture. You just need to be a Christian. Um, and you know, post-tribulation rapture believers would say the same about their position. You don't have to be a post-tribulation rapture be believer to be caught up in that 
rapture. If that's true, if that's the right interpretation, all you need is to be a Christian. But those who have denied Christ, when the rapture happens, they'll have to make a choice. Are they going to convert and be Christians, or are they going to continue in their unbelief? Are they going to redefine the rapture? Are they going to redefine reality as something else? And say, no, it wasn't, it wasn't God. It was, you know, an asteroid passed by, or maybe an alien abduction, or who knows what they'll say. Uh, maybe a CERN experiment gone wrong and made a bunch of people disappear, you know. Um, but th this is this is what happened in the first century. Once the Essenes were proven right and the Messiah died for our sins, the Pharisees and Sadducees had to make that choice if they were going to continue in their unbelief or adopt the Essene interpretation and become Christians. You know, the Book of Enoch actually says that that's the point of the rapture. It's it's a it's like a, a time of repentance, except instead of getting forty years. Uh, like the Pharisees did. You know, they had 40 years before the destruction of the temple and a massive slaughter of Jewish people. Um, instead of getting that much time, they only get seven years. Uh, so the book of Enoch says it, it's, it's a sign for repentance for the world. Now, the Pharisees had, um, had that 40, 40 years, but people in, at the end of our age, whenever the rapture is going to happen, they're going to have at most seven years if the pre-trib people are right. Um, if not, they're going to have three and a half years. But, you know, we'll also have, you know, if it's pre-wrath or something, there's going to be uh, the Antichrist signing, um, you know, the covenant with many. And so there will be signs where people should know, okay, the, the time is, is getting close and I need to make a decision here. Uh, so that's what that's kind of what we're seeing here, and that that context helps us understand uh, why Peter is really driving this home. Um, so uh, let's go to Second Peter one nineteen through twenty one, and it says, uh, "And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts." Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but only holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And I have quite a bit <laughs> to say about this. Uh, so the Essenes talked about how the feasts and festivals were prophetic and pointed to the Messiah. So uh, Passover was about how Jesus would die for us. Unleavened bread was about how we needed to remove sin uh, and, and how even just the small amount of sin or leaven can infect everything it touches. So uh, we get we get a lot about that, e even in how we are supposed to handle, um, how we're supposed to handle the church. And, and that's something that we've talked about quite often on this channel. You know, if, if somebody is leavenous, if somebody is leaven, you need to get rid of them. Um, and we, we've talked about that quite a bit. Um, so now when we think about the festival of new oil, because la last week we talked about new wine and what that could mean. Um, we talked about how it might mean something with weddings or something with judgments. It's probably two sides of one coin. It's, you know, when God's coming, he's coming, uh, with, with, with gifts or judgments. He's, he's coming, he's coming with judgments for, for everybody. And it's either going to be a good judgment where he judges you righteous and you get gifts and wonderful things, you know, a new body, you get great things, or the, you're going to get a judgment of wrath. And it seems like the festival of new wine kind of points to the, to that area. Um, and for us Christians, uh, it has a lot to do with weddings and stuff like that. So we talked about that last week, but the festival of new oil seems to be talking about prophecy. 
It points to prophecy, talking about uh, light shining in a dark place and the sun rising with, with healing in his wings. You know, prophecies that all point to Messiah, the dawning of this new age that we're living in now, the, the church age. Um, you know, the day star is a metaphor for Jesus, but, you know, wh- why does he talk a lot about the light shining in a dark place and the time of dawn and all of this? It has something to do with the ritual of the festival of new wine, which we don't have a ton of information about. Uh, we don't know exactly what was done or how it relates because a lot of that was, a lot of that was hidden, unfortunately, but we do know that it's connected. Uh, the concept is, um, you know, at nighttime you're in the dark and, Back then, you would use oil to make light. You know, you you would have a lamp, it would have oil in it, you would use oil to make light, and then suddenly you can see. So when the light's on, uh, you can see. And at nighttime, it's it's pitch black, you can't see, you can't really do anything until dawn when the day star rises, when the sun rises, and then you then you can see. So it's that same kind of concept here, but with prophecy, it's like saying, uh, you know it's coming, you've been told that it's coming, um, you have these these prophecies that you've been ignoring, but now you actually see that it's here and it explains everything, you know. All these prophecies that are being fulfilled explains all of these things that people have been arguing about. You can see it now. You have the light everywhere, and all of a sudden there's thousands of new things that you can see if you use this light. If you, But... If you say, well, I don't believe in oil, I don't believe in prophecy, I don't believe in lights, you know, I, light, lights aren't real, they don't work, you know, if you, if you go down that path, then you're not going to see anything, you'll remain in the dark. It, it would be like when the sun rises and you just pull the blinds, or you keep your eyes shut. It's that same kind of thing. Um, and, uh, but, but even then, it, it, it's like you, you know, there's darkness, you have, you have this oil available to you. Uh, and it's like ignoring the oil, ignoring the light, and then stumbling around in the darkness and stubbing your toes and stuff, uh, trying to get around. But morning is eventually coming, and you can't shut out the light forever. You can't keep your eyes closed forever. You can't keep the blinds drawn forever. Um, the morning is coming, and if the sun rises, the morning comes, and you're not prepared, you're not going to be able to do anything because you haven't prepared for it, just like in the parable of the ten virgins. The ones who were prepared were the ones that had enough oil. The foolish ones didn't prepare, and they were left in the dark. So um, the rest of the passage, uh, verses 20 and 21, talk about how um, these, the, 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 the old ones, the, the old prophets, they were moved by the Holy Spirit and that the prophecies are not up for private interpretation. And th- this ties back to what I was mentioning at the top of the show, uh, the top of today's episode, that these prophecies are not up for private interpretation because they did not come by the will of man, uh, but by the Holy Spirit, by the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, they, they talk about how the Holy Spirit and, um, uh, you know, it initiates prophecy a lot. And, and actually, um, the Zadok priests felt like they were called to Qumran to be that, that fulfillment of the prophecy of the voice crying in the wilderness. So he's saying here that they have a more sure word of prophecy because the prophecies for the first part of Messiah all came to pass. So they would do well to listen because the rest of it's going to come to pass too, such as the destruction of the temple and that these prophecies are not up to private interpretation. So the Pharisees, uh, you know, they had oral Torah, they had their traditions. The Pharisees can't say, you know, well, our rabbis say that light actually means these other things and that this prophecy 
prophecy is really supposed to be this other way and, and that's not what's supposed to happen. You, you know, they can't really say that uh, because they, they know that none of that's true. The prophecies of Messiah happened exactly as they were predicted. And because of that, they now have even more sure word of prophecy for the rest of it. So they know that the rest of it will come to pass exactly as predicted as well. It's not up to private interpretation. They can't say, well, this rabbi over here says this, or, you know, our traditions say, say this. Nope, the prophecies were fulfilled exactly as it was outlined, and they're going to continue to be fulfilled that way. That's the more sure word of prophecy, and we have that today. Because we have all of the stuff with uh, Jesus' first coming. We know that that was all, that, I mean, it was fulfilled literally, right? He literally came. He literally was in the flesh. Uh, so it would be ridiculous to think that that somehow is going to change and it's not going to be literal anymore. That all of the prophetic texts, that it's not literal anymore. See, that that is that is ridiculous. And I think that that's born from people knowing that it's been 2,000 years. You know, it's been a long time, and where is Jesus, right? But we even have Bible passages that talk about that, that there will be scoffers in the last days that will say, you know, where is, this, where is the promise of his coming? Uh, we, we, we've been warned about that, that that's going to happen, so we don't have to fall into that. It's like, look, he's going to come when he's going to come. And when we understand uh, the concept of ages, then we know he's actually right on time, right? Where Whenever he comes, it's going to be right on time, exactly as uh, predicted. So this also tells us that the nature of prophecy is not by the will of man, which seems to indicate that when you uh, come across someone who says that they're a prophet, but they aren't accurate, they're not 100% accurate, and they're, they're kind of working on it, or they're trying to learn, they're learning to be more accurate, they're learning to, you know, walk in the gift of prophecy, um, then that's by the will of man, isn't it? Uh, that doesn't seem to be true prophecy, because true prophecy, just like this passage says, it's not by the will of man. If it's true prophecy, the person isn't doing anything to will it, right? They're just receiving a message. How, how do you practice to receive a message? Just like if somebody calls you on the phone, you didn't do anything, your phone rang. You didn't practice to have your phone ring, it just rang and you received a call. Now that person can uh, tell you, you know, these things are going to happen. You can tell other people that the one who called you said that they... Uh, you know, said that, that he would do these things. And if that happens, then he's telling the truth. And if not, then people would, you know, it, it's either that the person who made the, who, who called is lying or the person who said they received the call is lying, but there's a lie somewhere in there. There would have to be just by the nature of what it is. Um, so or either that or the person who called changed his mind for some reason. Uh, and you know, there are prophecies like that where God says, you know, if, so-and-so, then so-and-so. So if people do this, then I'll do this. But if they do this, I'll do this other thing. So there's, there are prophecies like that. You know, if people repent, then things can, things can change. God can change his mind. But those are conditional prophecies. There are also prophecies that are set in stone. Like the coming of the Messiah, that was going to happen no matter what. You know, uh, Orthodox rabbis today would say that Messiah didn't come because of the sins of Israel, because of the, the, the sins of the Jews. God changed his mind and decided to not send Messiah, and Messiah will come at a later time. But when God made those promises, they weren't conditional. They weren't, 
if you don't sin, you know, if, if you remain faithful enough, then I'll, I'll think about sending a Messiah. That, that's not how it's, that's not how it's written at all. They weren't conditional prophecies. It's, it's, I will send a prophet, you know, just like Moses. And, uh, you listen to him, you better listen to him and all that stuff. And they killed him instead. So it's just, it's going to be the same with the second coming. Jesus is coming back regardless. Now, our understanding of it might be different. So, for example, some people are wondering if um, the Apophis asteroid that's supposed to fly by in 2029, um, could that be a fulfillment of Wormwood? Maybe, but we also have two other flyby dates. We have one in 2036 and we have one in 2068. And either one of them can be the one. Now, God knows which one is the one. We don't. So there, there, is, there is something about repentance where God could say, okay, well, this is going to happen, but maybe it doesn't have to happen, you know. Or, or, it, see, it's not from God's perspective, though, because God knows when that's going to happen. We don't. So it's, it's more from our perspective of, you know, repentance is just a good thing, right? But if we, but here's the thing: we know that that's going to happen because it's written down. That's the main point. We might not know the timing, but we know that it is going to happen because that's what the prophecy says. Wormwood, at some point, that prophecy is going to be fulfilled, um, and there's no way around that. So that's the point. So the main point here is it's, it's not by the will of the one like who receives the call or or who gets the prophecy. You know, if, if a prophet, a so-called prophet, gives a prophecy and then it doesn't happen, then he's a false prophet. The only way is if he says that, like, God said, if you guys do this, this will happen. But if you do this, but even that we have to be careful with because there are a lot of people who will make prophecies and they'll say, well, if the nation repents, then this won't happen. And then the thing doesn't happen and then they will say the nation must have repented. But we don't really get an indication of that. I mean, how do you how do you prove that? How, how do you know? I mean, we, we don't see a, a, a nationwide repentance. I remember a few years ago, there was this guy who would, every few months, he, he would say that, you know, an asteroid basically is going to come and strike Earth, or there's going to be a major earthquake and split the country in two, or... Any number of things, but it was like every couple of months he would do this, and he actually developed the following. There were a lot of Christians that would follow this guy. I haven't seen him around much lately, but um, but he, he would do this all the time. And then when it didn't happen, he would say, well, there must have been a repentance. And it's like, that's pretty convenient, because you can't prove that. You, you know, I mean, it, it seems like all the indications say that the country is just as wicked, if not more wicked and sinful than it used to be. You know, God is constantly being kicked out of schools and churches now. Um, I don't see a repentance. You know, I, I don't see a nationwide, you know, call back to, to Jesus. You know, I, I pray for revival. I, I do think that there's going to be a, a revival at some point, but I haven't seen it yet. That is something that we should pray for, though. Um but it was a convenient excuse for this guy to say, well, that's why it didn't happen, because, because I was able to warn enough people, and they all, they all repented, and so we averted that disaster. It's like, well, you can say that about anything. I mean, you, you, you really could. Like, you know, a, 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 an asteroid is going to strike Minnesota right now unless you guys repent. Oh, somebody out there repented, the asteroid is gone. Uh, I mean, anybody can do that, and I'm being, I'm being a little, a little exaggerative, but, but 
true prophecy, it's not by the will of man like that. It's God will tell somebody something and sometimes something might be conditional. But the main point with this, you know, what I'm saying here is that we got to be careful about that conditional stuff. You know, is, is it actually a condition that's put forth by the Lord or is it something that just this guy is saying? Now, I will say, even in the case of that guy, repentance is always a good idea. So the ends don't justify the means here. You know, he, he shouldn't have used deception in order to get people to repent. But it wasn't a sin for the people to repent. You know, it might have been uh, a sin for people to follow that guy when he had so many failed prophecies. But, uh, and it was definitely a sin for that guy to claim to speak for the Lord when clearly he he didn't. Uh, that that's an issue, but if 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 the only end result was repentance, then okay. But the problem is a lot of people th- this would like really shake their faith. You know, they would really believe that God told this guy stuff, and then God changed his mind. So in in the minds of his followers, this is like creating this wishy washy God that you don't know if he's coming or going, and it's basically a God that's the author of confusion, right? You, you can never, you can never know. Uh, only this guy knows, and you have to go through this guy in order to understand God. And and God's not like that. We go through Jesus to understand God, and Jesus is God in the flesh. So we have a direct relationship uh, with God, which is amazing. He, he's he's a loving Father. But there's a lot of people that want to put themselves in place of mediator. So we have to be careful of that. But I will say it's always good to repent, no matter what. So, uh, you know, even even if. Even if I hear a false prophecy or something like that, and there, if if the main message is repent, then you know I'll think, well, I don't believe that that guy's prophecy is real. But you know, it is it is a nice reminder to at least uh, repent. Do I have anything to repent over? Is there something I need to change in my life? But the thing is, we don't need false prophecies to do that. To to uh, remember that we we can just preach messages of repentance. So the main point here is that it's not by the will of the one receiving the call, receiving the message. It's just something that the caller decided to do on his own. It's something that the messenger, the the person who's delivering the message, the the one who's calling, the one who's giving the prophecy, God, you know, decided to do. Just like how the, the Holy Spirit will give someone a message and that person can deliver the message. The person did not cause the Holy Spirit to do that. No one can learn to make that happen. That's actually idolatry. That's trying to call God down to our level. That's literally idolatry, and God is not going to be dealt with that way. He has made that incredibly clear. Idolatry is, is, is a horrible sin, um, and it does exist our day. It, it, it exists in the church when people think that they can control God, that they can call down the Holy Spirit. Now, we can ask. We can ask for gifts. But we also need to keep in mind that he is the father, he is in control, and he will decide uh, if we get the gift or not. And he might not give us that gift. And that's okay, you know. Um, There were many times where I asked for the gift of healing. And I asked sincerely. I I cleaned up my sinful life, you know. I repented. And I asked for a gift of healing for my, uh, my, my bone disease. And he, he did not give me that gift, and that's fine. I'm, I continue to serve him anyway, and I love him, and I know that there's a reason for it. I may not know what the reason is in total, um, but I don't need to know. 
because it, it, you know, at that point, it's kind of none of my business. God knows what he's doing and I trust him and I love him and he will heal me someday. Someday I'm going to get a new body. But then you have people where that doesn't fit into their theology. So they have to say things like, well, it's because you're calling it, you know, my bone disease. You know, you're taking ownership of it. That's why. Like it's some incantation or something. Like, like, like just words. Like, like, yeah, God would really love to heal me. It's just too bad I'm using the wrong words. Otherwise he'd be able to. It's like, well, how, how weak is your God? You know? Uh, cause if my God wants to heal me, he'll heal me. He'll heal me. And if there's something I need to repent of, if he doesn't want me to refer it to, you know, that way, then he'll tell me. But th- that's little nitpicky stuff that, that no one, really seems to get convicted over. At least I, I haven't. And I, I don't see a place in there. I mean, Paul call, calls it his thorn in the flesh, right? It's a thorn in the flesh. In whose flesh? In his flesh. Um, I don't know if it specifically says his, but it's like he has this thorn in the flesh. Uh, but he's definitely taking like ownership of it. It's his. It's not anybody else's, right? He's the one being afflicted. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient enough for you. So that's how I look at it. You know, the, the, the bone disease or my bone disease or the abstract bone disease, however people want to say it, doesn't really matter. The point is, I'm going to, I'm going to praise God if he heals me or not. His grace is sufficient for me. So he's under no obligation here. And most importantly, there's no combination of words that I can say that will make God heal me. He either will or he won't. And that's it. I don't really have control over that, right? That, that is through the power of Jesus. Now, if Jesus says something like, well, I, I do want to heal you and there's going to be a time for that. But first, what I think is more important is let's, let's get these sins taken care of. Now that might happen. That could happen. You know, that could happen with anybody or, or let's get you, let's get you at the right frame of mind where you're actually going to give credit to Jesus and not to yourself or, or something like that. That could happen too. But again, it's not that. Okay, well, if I if I want to make God heal me, then I need to do these things. That, that that's not that's not what it is. It's you obey God, and if He gives you a gift, then great. And if He doesn't, great, because He, he you're still saved. You know, He's still going to give you a new body. Uh, so that gets lost in our our culture today, and I, I think that that's really important. So again, the person did not cause the Holy Spirit to do that. Uh, no one can learn to make that happen. Uh, just like you can't learn to receive like an unsolicited phone call. Uh, now, you know. Every analogy breaks down at some point because somebody could say, well, I could tell somebody to call me. Yeah, okay, I get it. Um, but let's just say you're sitting at home. It's an unsolicited call, okay? You can't learn to receive unsolicited calls. They either come or they don't. It happens or it doesn't. It's totally independent of what you do or don't do. So now we can have dreams or feelings that we try to interpret and and decide to not be dogmatic about it. Uh, But that's different than someone saying, the Lord says, and then when that thing doesn't come to pass, the person says, well, I got that wrong. I'm still learning to walk in the gift of prophecy. You know, true prophecy does not work like that. But the will of man certainly does. So this leads us to the next uh, connecting thoughts in chapter 2, 1 through 3 which says, um, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed by covetousness. They will exploit you with the deceptive, with deceptive words, For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does 
not slumber. This is so important. One thing that we got to realize about um, chapters, again, like I mentioned, these chapter breaks were, were added later. So just because there's a chapter split here, it doesn't mean that the last thought finished and we're on to a new thought now. And in fact, when we understand what Peter, Second uh, Peter 1.21 is talking about, Second Peter 2.1 is clearly a continuation of that thought. So th this is why we're told about false prophets, you know, connecting with the previous verse about prophecy not being by the will of man, but by the, the moving of the Holy Spirit. Um, so in chapter 2, we learn that there were false prophets and teachers among the, the people, the old ones, you know, the people from the last age, just like there will be uh, false prophets and teachers among them, Christians, you know, in the first century. So this seems to be something that happens at the end of each age. Uh, you know, even according to Jasher, there were clearly false prophets and false teachers at the end of the age of chaos, uh, which ended with the Tower of Babel incident and the call of Abraham, you know, saying that the, the Lord would bring another flood and, um, and teaching that they would have to build the tower to escape it and even enter into heaven to kill God. If you read the book of Jasher, it says that, that that's what they were taught. That's what they believed. Um, there were false prophets and teachers at the end of Torah, certainly, which is what is being discussed here. And there will be false prophets and teachers at the end of our age too, which is clearly and obviously the case. We have a lot of that today. And there, there are many calling themselves prophets who are doing so by the will of man and not by the moving of the Holy Spirit. We have so-called Christian teachers teaching all forms of heresy while calling it truth. This is even discussed in the Ascension of Isaiah, which we did a whole video on a few weeks ago. Um, There's a church father document, uh, one, and, and, you know, there are parts of this document that you can ignore because they were later weird, like Gnostic editions and stuff. But there's one section of it that's original. Um, it's, it's from an early Jewish source, and it says that there would be people in the last days that cared more about office than truth, more about popularity, more about their, like an audience uh, than truth, and that good teachers would be almost impossible to find. And there, there'd be a good one here and there, but mostly they would be false teachers and prophets. Um, and I'll tell you what, uh, a big prayer I have, and I, I ask you to keep me in prayer about, is, is that I, I would never fall into being a false teacher. Like, uh, please pray for me for that. Because um, like I've said before, I, I've come out of new age so clearly I was involved in false teaching at one point because I would post online about it and stuff when I was in it years and years ago. Um, I don't ever want to misrepresent Christ or misrepresent God. So keep me in prayer for that uh, and keep yourselves in prayer too. And I'll pray for you too. That's something we should all be praying about because we all are representing Christ. And in a way, we all are teaching truths about Christ when we post about him online and stuff. So we all got to be careful about that. It, you know, it's just like Jeremiah when he said that they wouldn't be back for 70 years but then uh, 70 other prophets said that they would be back in five and they threw Jeremiah in the pit. The, the 70 were wrong and Jeremiah was right, even though probably not all 70 were trying to lie. You know, probably a lot of them really thought that they were hearing from God, but clearly they weren't. We have that today. There's a lot of people that think that they hear from God and they're very well-meaning people. They, they don't mean to deceive anybody. Uh, they don't, there are some people that do mean to deceive people, but there's a lot of people that don't. Um, they're well-meaning, but still, they're they're still mis misrepresenting uh, God. They're 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 still putting out false prophecies. 
It's not meant to be taken as a direct one, you know, out of 70 ratio in that, you know, of, of good to false prophets. But it does show that the vast majority of people claiming to be prophets are actually false. Now, the passage also talks about damnable heresies, uh, one of which is denying the Lord that brought them. So as Christians, we should all understand that Jesus' uh, death on the cross was to pay for our sins and to buy or redeem us. So uh, his blood paid the penalty for our sins, meaning that we were bought with that price. So if someone believes that the Messiah is not God incarnate, uh, and is just the man that comes to, you know, win a war at some point and salvation is based on prayer or works or, or something else, then this would be denying the Lord that bought them, uh, which is what the Pharisees were doing, who, who remained in darkness. I mean, there are people today, the hyper Hebrew roots people that will say that you need to go back under the law to be saved. That's denying the, law, the, the Lord that bought them. There are also hyper-grace people that will say that, well, you can sin and you don't have to repent. You can do whatever you want because Jesus paid for that price. Well, that's not having a very loving relationship with Jesus, is it? So can you really say that you're saved if, that, if that's what your relationship is like? That, that's like saying like, yeah, I can beat my wife because we're legally bound under this contract of marriage, you know, and, and she can't leave because I won't give her a divorce. So I can do whatever I want. You know, is that really a marriage? Would we look at that and say, yeah, that, that's right. That's, that, that's not really a marriage, is it? That, that's, 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 that's a forced union based on like a technical law thing. Uh, so it's the same thing there. You, you got the hyper-Hebrew roots that are teaching a heresy, and you got hyper-grace that are teaching a heresy. So this, of course, applies to a lot of false teachers. There's a lot of false prophets out there. Um, they remain in darkness, but it's directly referencing the Pharisees and Sadducees in this passage, but it, it points to the future, to our time as well. Um, also, verse 1 talks about swift destruction, and I want to talk about this before we go to uh, members only. But it talks about swift destruction, and some might think, you know, how is 40 years swift, you know, because uh, Jesus came and, and died in 32 AD, and then you didn't have the destruction of the temple until um, 70 AD. So how is that swift? But again, we have to remember the timeline and when this was written. If the church fathers, excuse me, are correct, then this was written around 67 AD or sometime, sometime around there. It had already been almost 40 years since the death of Jesus, uh, and the destruction of the temple would be coming swiftly from their vantage point. So it's only about two or three years later, depending uh, on the month. The main takeaway here from this passage that we looked at today is that Peter is saying, look, in 67 AD, you know, he knows he's about to die, and it's vitally important to pay attention to prophecy. Uh, there are Christians today that ignore prophecy because they say, well, we won't be here for it anyway, or it's too hard to understand, it's too divisive, whatever happens will happen. We can't have that attitude. It's important to pay attention to prophecy. Part of prophecy is the Old Testament scrolls. Part of it is what the Essenes said. Uh, the other part is the festivals. We get some in the New Testament. You know, he's saying here that they are eyewitnesses of the prophecies about Messiah coming to pass. Uh, that the first part of it has already come to pass exactly as the prophecy said it would. So we can be sure that the next part, the destruction of the temple and the slaughtering of the Jewish people that remained there, 
Um, that part will come to pass just as it said, just as everything else. And to avoid false teachers and pro false prophets who say otherwise, that this destruction isn't coming. You know, avoid those because they're wrong. They're following their own will. It's not the moving of the Holy Spirit. You know, they're, they're remaining in darkness. They don't have the light of prophecy. They're not burning the oil of prophecy. Don't listen to those who deny the Lord that bought them because that heresy is so damnable. Swift destruction is coming upon them uh, because they choose to remain in that darkness about what's coming. And sure enough, about three years later, the temple was destroyed and many were slaughtered where if they would have listened to the prophecies and uh, if they would have had this, this light of prophecy, if they wouldn't have remained in darkness, um, basically just if they would have listened to the prophecies and, and had that light instead of denying it, then they would have avoided the destruction because they would have seen it coming. They would have became Christians. They would have went out and preached the gospel. Uh, they, they would have seen it coming instead of remaining in the dark. Um, but they weren't prepared. You know, they were, they were foolish. So the main point for us today is to not be like them. Learn, learn the lessons of the past. Learn the lessons of the end of the age of Torah. We are now entering into, we are basically at the very end of the age of grace. So don't uh, fall into the, the, the same heresies and the same mistakes of the past. We know all these things happened just, just as they were predicted. So we know that the rest will too. And that's why we can't just ignore prophecy. Otherwise, we'll be left in the dark. We'll be unprepared uh, for what's coming. And that's incredibly important. So we, we have to keep that in mind. That's the whole point here. Uh, we got something else to, to talk about because there's a type of Christianity called progressive Christianity, and it's actually another gospel. Um, and it's comparable to the Sadducees uh, in, in ancient times. And th this, is, this is what not to follow. I mean, this is what we're warned against. Don't follow these damnable heresies. We have to talk about that, but it's probably going to get into some areas that YouTube would delete. So make sure you head on over to dailyrenegade.com. Get a membership today so you can get the rest of this JPD Weekly. You'll get the rest of every show we have. We have quite a bit of shows available for you to enjoy. Uh, it's only $10 a month or $100 a year. Get the $100 a year if you can, because then you get two months for free. You just do it once and you don't have to think about it again. Um, and we are working on improving the website and making it simpler. Uh, if you're having trouble finding the full video, it's the full videos are not the thing in the slider on the home page. There's a big red button above that that says if you want the full video, you know, go here to the members only section, or you just go to the tab that says uh, members area, and you find your show in there. That is where the full videos are. Now we we are redesigning the website to get rid of the free videos on the website. You know, people can watch the free videos on YouTube. Um, it, it's just causing confusion having it on the website, and very soon it's going to be where you just log in, and then the only thing that's on the website is. All all the full videos. So we are working towards that. But uh, for right now, if you're having trouble finding the video, that's why you're not in the members area. So click on the members area tab or that red button um, on the homepage and, and find the show that you want. It'll take you right there. Uh, so, okay, we're going to talk uh, more about some controversial things that YouTube will probably delete. That's why we do this Daily Renegade thing. So head on over to dailyrenegade.com. Uh, members, hang on the line. Everybody viewing for free, thank you so much. And until next time, love you all. Take care and God bless.